Today is the day that we celebrate our mums. But not everyone has a good relationship with their mum. Mumsnet claims to be the UK's biggest network for parents. And on their website, one mum poured out her heart to the online community. This is what she wrote. My mother is a very bitter person. It all started around eight years ago when my mum and dad, married for 25 years, split up. My dad had had enough and finally called an end. She's still angry about this. She has remained on her own the entire time, slowly spiralling into a bitter mess and drinking excessively. I understand that she's lonely. My brother doesn't speak to her due to her bitterness and nearly all of her family and friends have disappeared. Therefore, I'm the only one left. She believes that they are all wrong and she is the same one. I'm married, have a great relationship with my husband and son and more importantly my dad as well as my in-laws. But she gets jealous at any mention of their names. Her comments are beyond bitter. I told her today I was going on holiday with my in-laws this year. She began making jealous comments and asked why they got to spend so much time with me. And she didn't. I had to hang up. I wanted to tell her the truth. The truth that I couldn't handle one full day with her, let alone a two-week holiday. Sometimes wish I could tell her I don't ever want to see her again. What a really tragic story, eh? And a real strong, powerful illustration of the destructive power of bitterness. And it's not the only story like that on that site. In fact, in response to this woman's post, many others related how bitterness has destroyed their families too. And if we're going to be really honest this morning, then we have to admit that it could happen to any of us. If you've ever been deeply hurt, you know how easy it is to slip into bitterness. To find yourself constantly repeating, replaying the many betrayals in your mind. Any of us could end up trapped in anger and self-pity and resentment. So how can we overcome this giant of bitterness in our lives? How can we live in this world with all of its disappointments and hearts and offences without letting it destroy our relationships. We're going to look again at the life of David. And we're going to read from 2 Samuel chapter 9. And Philip is going to read that chapter too. So Philip, would you like to come up and read that now? 2 Samuel chapter 9. David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, 
there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Thank you very much, Philip. In one sense, it was a really normal question for David to ask. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? That's because the first thing to do in a new regime was usually to search out and eliminate all remaining members of the previous royal family. It was seen as necessary for security and stability. And David had lived as a fugitive from Saul for many years. Unjustly accused. Hated for no reason. He and his family had lived in fear of their lives. So it would only be natural for David to be a little bit bitter towards Saul's family. But David's search for a member of Saul's family was not motivated by bitterness. He wanted to find someone to whom I can show kindness. This search was motivated by love, not hatred, by grace, not resentment. And it revealed this guy called Mephibosheth, a son of Jonathan, who'd lived a really sad life. Because he'd been born into a very privileged position. The son of a prince, grandson of the king. Prosperity and opportunity should have been his. But it all fell apart one day when King Saul and Jonathan had been killed. 
They were killed in battle. It says that in Second Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. Jonathan, his dad, would have been a, 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 such a wonderful dad. Because he was a really loving man. In fact, David said about Jonathan, his friend, your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. But that day, Mephibosheth lost that love. He grew up without his dad's influence and example and wisdom and support. But it wasn't just his dad's love that he lost that day. Jonathan, Mephibosheth also lost his own status. Because he was no longer the grandson of a king. With all the privileges and honour that that would have brought. And said when he came before David, he bowed down to pay him honour. And he called himself David's servant. And the first thing David said to Mephibosheth was, don't be afraid. That's because... He'd probably always been afraid. He'd grown up in the fear of that day when the king's soldiers would knock the door. All his life he'd lived under that threat. The new king, kings would come and wipe us all out. He'd never been at peace. But that's not all. Did you know how, did you notice how Ziba uh, mentioned or described Mephibosheth. says in verse 3, there's still a son of Jonathan and he is crippled in both feet. Now perhaps he was trying to explain how Mephibosheth wasn't a threat to David. Well, he's not going to lead a rebellion because he, he can't even walk. But I think it's more likely that that's how Ziba and others saw this man. They saw him as a crippled man. They didn't see him so much as they saw his disability. He was helpless. He was dependent on others. He was unable to provide for himself. His dignity had been robbed from him. And it seems that that's how Mephibosheth saw himself. See how he said what he said to David in verse 8? What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He saw himself as a nobody. Someone you just wouldn't bother with. And all of this was reinforced by where Mephibosheth had been living. A place called Lodibar. That word Lodibar means without pasture. A place of emptiness. A place of want. A place without satisfaction. And all of these losses that happened in Mephibosheth's life can all be traced right back to Saul's rebellion against God. That's why Saul and Jonathan had been killed that day 
in battle. That's why Mephibosheth had lost his dad's love, lost his status as a, as a prince, lost his peace and dignity and satisfaction. He was suffering the consequences of his grandfather's sin. And I think it's a powerful demonstration of what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is death. The consequences of sin are always serious. But this verse that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 goes on to say something much better. Yes, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what David demonstrated in Mephibosheth's life. He expressed God's grace in restoring to him everything that sin had taken from him. First of all, David gave him peace. Verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said to him. For I will surely show you kindness. Can you imagine the relief for Mephibosheth? Perhaps for the first time in his life, he actually felt safe. The threat was finally removed. He was now at peace. And then David restored Mephibosheth's dignity. He said in verse 7, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And he ordered Ziba and his whole household to, to farm that land for Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth would no longer have to live off of charity. Instead he could now provide for himself and for his family. And that wasn't all. David's grace went even further than that. Verse 7 again. And you will always eat at my table. For years, Mephibosheth experienced the barrenness of Lodibar. Now he was going to experience the satisfaction of eating at the king's table. But this wasn't only an invitation to eat the king's food. It was an invitation to be part of the king's family. Verse 11 says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had been a nobody. Now he was accepted as a son of the king. He'd lived as an outcast. Now he was welcomed into the love of the king's family. This is how a writer called Chuck Swindoll describes the scene. He imagines what it would look like. This is what he says. The meal is fixed and the dinner, the dinner bell rings. And along come the members of the family and their guests. Amnon, clever and witty, comes to the table first. 
Then there's Joab, one of the guests, muscular, masculine, attractive, his skin bronzed from the sun, walking tall and erect like an experienced soldier. Next comes Absalom. Talk about handsome. From the crown of his head to the soles of his feet, there's not a blemish on him. Then there is Tamar, beautiful, tender daughter of David. Later on, Solomon. He's been at the study all day. But he finally slips away from his work and makes his way to the table. But then they hear this clump, clump, clump. Here comes Mephibosheth, hobbling along. He smiles and humbly joins the others as he takes his place at the table as one of the king's sons. And the tablecloth of grace covers his feet. What a complete transformation of this man's life. From poverty to feasting. From fear to fellowship. From death to life. And this was all David's doing. David was the one who made the first move in searching out Mephibosheth. David, he covered the cost of all of this in giving back the land that belonged to Saul. And David didn't ask for anything in return. It was a free gift. A generous, unconditional, sacrificial, outrageous gift of grace. There was nothing that Mephibosheth had done to deserve any of it. But there were two reasons for why David did this. First of all, verse 7. David did this for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Mephibosheth benefited not because of who he was but because of who Jonathan was to David. This was David's gift of love in response to the love of Jonathan his friend. Way back in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel Jonathan had said to David show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. And David had agreed to that covenant because of his great love for Jonathan. David was keeping his promise here that he made many years earlier. But then secondly, David wasn't just keeping a promise to his his friend. He also wanted to show God's kindness. As it says in verse 3. The kindness that he'd experienced from God, he wanted to show to Mephibosheth. God had raised David from a humble shepherd, now to a glorious king. He'd poured out his kindness and grace to David. And so now David wanted to express this grace to others. 
David was a man who gave graciously because he'd received graciously. And folks, if we have trusted in Jesus, if we've accepted Jesus as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives, then we too have received such outrageous grace. In fact, Mephibosheth's experience here is an amazingly powerful picture of the grace of Jesus in our lives. It illustrates how we have been transformed from being a sinner to being a son of God. Because our sin separated us from God's love. But through Jesus, we've been brought into the joy of a loving relationship with Him. We were without hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. As Paul says in Ephesians 2. And as sinners, we were classed as God's enemies. Outside of his kingdom, lost and heading to a lost eternity. But now, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. There's no greater status in this world, is there? We are children of the King of Kings. Before that, like Mephibosheth, we also had no peace. We were among those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. But if we've trusted in Jesus, we don't need to fear anymore. Because Jesus himself is our peace. Now through Jesus, we have peace with God. We've been reconciled with him. We are held in his hand and nothing and no one can ever separate us from his love. And outside of Christ we were, caught, we were seen as a slave to sin. Like Mephibosheth, we were crippled by our sinful nature. We were powerless to live the life that we longed for. But Christ has set us free. To live a life of purpose and direction and power and self-control and meaning and purity. Today, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We've been given the dignity of being God's masterpiece Christ's body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've been saved to serve God and to see God's kingdom built through us. And so 1 Peter 1.18 says that we've been redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to us. Before Christ, it was, it was like we were living in Lodibar. There was always a deep emptiness that this world could never satisfy. 
But now we can experience the satisfaction that we've always craved. Because we have the one who can meet that need. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. We've been invited to feast at the table of the King. In Christ, God has given us His unfailing love. The status of being His sons. Peace with God that goes beyond all understanding. The dignity of being part of His kingdom. And the satisfaction of eternal life. And He has given us all of this in the same way that Mephibosheth received it. As a gift of grace. Because like David, God made the first move. He came and He sought us out. He covered the cost by paying the price in full at the cross. And He saved us, not because of who we were, or what we've done, or even based on who we will be, or what we will do, but because of His great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace we have been saved. David, he treated Mephibosheth based on who Jonathan was and what Jonathan deserved. And in a similar way, God has treated us based on who Christ is. And what Christ deserved. On the cross Jesus became sin for us. So that we could receive his righteousness. This is what Mark Hall writes. Part of Casting Crowns, the band. This is what he writes in his song, Who Am I? Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love? And see me rise again. Not because of who I am. But because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done. But because of who you are. And it is this experience of God's undeserved and unlimited grace that sets us free to express that same grace to others who've hurt or offended us. This is what Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We are called to love others unconditionally, because that's how we've been loved. 
We are called to forgive those who don't deserve it. Because that's how we've been forgiven. We are called to be people of outrageous grace. Because that's how we have been saved. As Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. So when we are hurt or offended, when people attack us or put us down, we've no right to give in to bitterness or resentment or anger. Instead, we are the ones who are called to make the first move. To reach out in love and speak gently to those who have offended us. To do good to those who have hurt us. To hold back that condemnation and those recriminations. To offer peace and reconciliation. To cover the cost of the offence. And to serve in a no-strings-attached way. But if we're going to do this, then we need to be careful to choose who to focus on. If David had focused on Mephibosheth as the grandson of the man who'd made his life a misery for years, then he could have easily been bitter and resentful. But instead David chose to to view Mephibosheth as the son of Jonathan, the man who'd loved him. So he reached out in grace for the sake of Jonathan. And we need to do the same. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. If we focus on the one who's hurt us or who's offended us, what they have or haven't done to us, what they do or don't deserve, then we'll always be in danger of being defeated by bitterness. But if instead we fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, And we live in response to who He is and what He has done for us. Then we'll be able to reach out in grace for the sake of Christ. This is how we overcome the giant of bitterness in our lives. Just as David responded to God's grace expressed through Jonathan and so expressed such life-changing grace to Mephibosheth. Let's be committed to responding to God's outrageous grace expressed to us through Christ. And so express life-changing grace to those who've hurt or offended us.